If I could ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word and take your copy of the Word of God and turn to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. Chapter 1. And I'll be reading verses 1 through 3. This is the word of the Lord. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory in the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. If you'll remain standing, I'm going to read the text also in Spanish. Ahora voy a leer la Palabra de Dios en español, Hebreos capítulo 1, Hebreos capítulo 1, versículo 1 a 3. Esta es la Palabra del Señor. Dios, habiendo hablado hace mucho tiempo, en muchas ocasiones, y de muchas maneras a los padres por los profetas. En estos últimos días nos ha hablado por su Hijo, a quien constituyó heredero de todas las cosas, por medio de quien hizo también el universo. Él es el resplandor de su gloria y la expresión exacta de su naturaleza y sostiene todas las cosas por la palabra de su poder. Después de llevar a cabo la purificación de los pecados, el Hijo se sentó a la diestra de la majestad en las alturas. Amén. Gloria a Dios. You may be seated. Well, let's ask the Lord to bless our time as we start this new book. Gracious Father, we do thank you for your sweetness, for making yourself known by the power of your word, for sending your own Son to take our place on the cross, to die the death that we deserved after living the life that we could not live. Father, as redeemed rebels, as Chris mentioned, as we gather here to sit under the ministry of your word, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would use this instrument of the divine, inspired, sufficient, authoritative word, to, word of God to strengthen our faith, to shape us, to change us, to make us useful 
For, Father, you have saved us, not only for eternity, but for the here and now. Your Son has redeemed us out of the slave market of sin, and you have adopted us as sons and daughters. And as such, we are your ambassadors. Though we are citizens of heaven, we remain on in this world to tell people of the good news of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so as you strengthen our faith this morning, as you further enlighten us, as you give us a desire and a boldness to take this good news to the lost, I pray that we would be forever grateful. I pray that as we hear your word, we would worship more deeply, that we would understand Christ's majesty, and that you would be pleased. You would be pleased with not only saving us, but also sanctifying us, not only securing our salvation, but growing us in it. Father, we beg of you as a congregation of believers, we beg of you, make us useful for the kingdom. What a delight it is to be able to gather to worship, but may that worship not stop here. May it continue throughout the week as we seek to serve you more and love with a godlike love. Father, we thank you for this book of Hebrews, and we pray that as we seek to understand more the object of our faith, who He is, what He has done, and what He promises to do, that our hearts would be lifted high this morning. Father, for anyone here who has yet to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we, with great confidence, ask that today would be the day of their salvation. Not merely of lip service, but one of a real heart change, one that bows the knee to Jesus Christ. For those of us who have wondered, as the book of Hebrews says, those who have drifted, draw us near, like a father who pursues a wandering child, draw us near. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we ask you would bless our time. In Christ's name, amen. Well, the book of Hebrews. Are y'all excited? Get your pens out and don't be afraid to write in your Bible. That's what it's for. Let me recap briefly. If you didn't have a chance to listen to the overview from last week, it's posted online. I would encourage you to do so. It provides a good roadmap for this book and kind of helps you to uh, know what drawers to place things in. What we have are Jewish believers living outside the motherland, living outside of modern-day Israel, perhaps in Rome, and they have left their former life in Judaism, and they have embraced Jesus, this Galilean rabbi, as their one true Messiah. But the honeymoon's over, and because of peer pressure and persecution, 
perhaps from their own people, it appears, there is a temptation to return to their old life in Judaism. They miss the familiar. They miss the community. And frankly, this Christian life is just a bit too hard. And so they've started to drift. And this letter, specifically, is meant to be one of encouragement and one of exhortation, not to drift away from the faith, but to stay the course. The modern-day applications are amazing. When we find that our faith is weak, for whatever reason, whether it by circumstances, someone else's sin, or, or even our own, the answer lies not in pragmatism, not in consumerism, not in programs, but in this, the realization that the object of our faith, Jesus Christ, is who He says He is. And probably beyond the way you picture Him, certainly He is more than we could imagine. And He is the only qualified Savior that will see us through. He is the anchor of our faith. And so as doubts cause us to drift, we grab hold to, watch this, the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you are doubting, and I don't mean doubting like you're necessarily going to punt the faith or walk away, but if your faith is weak, if you long to be more in the world, if you find your heart cold, it's because you do not realize or understand the person and work of Jesus Christ. Oh, you might be able to quote some catechism or, or, or write down doctrines. You might be able to find a verse or two, but you don't fully comprehend the majesty of our Lord Jesus Christ. How vastly superior He is to anything you could think of. He is the one who helps us to stay the course. And so when this letter opens, the author immediately begins exalting Christ from the outset. I mean, this guy is swinging for the fences. There's no ramp up. There's no, I'm going to start slow. There's no greetings. He hits it hard. And what he does in these first three verses is give us an introduction that is like a theatrical trailer. It gives us a glimpse of what is to come. For the first nine and a half chapters cover, cover both the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's the doctrinal aspect of the book. And then in chapter 10, verse 19, he's going to segue into the practical part. You might think of it this way. If this is a symphony, uh, if this is, let's say, Handel's Messiah, the maestro starts with the Hallelujah Chorus. That's how strong it is. That's how majestic it is. I mean, just the topics in these first three verses look like a syllabus for a master's level systematic theology course. It's deep. I could literally spend eight weeks in the first three verses and not even scratch the surface. This is one reason I want to really encourage you towards self-feeding. What do I mean by self-feeding? Daily spending time in the Word, studying it, cross-referencing, praying, seeking to understand by the power of the Holy Spirit what He says about the second person of the Trinity our Lord Jesus Christ. So, let's dive in. Verses 1 through 4 are actually 
one long sentence in the Greek. But we're going to go ahead and break it after three because there's a a thematic shift. In verse four, he starts talking about Christ's superiority to the angels. So what we're going to do is take these first three verses, which are sort of an overview of the entire book, and we're going to see eight ways in which Christ is superior. If these Jewish believers are are drifting off and being drawn back into Judaism, it's because somehow they think that what they had was enough. Maybe I'll go a step further. They thought it, it was maybe better, or that maybe Christ isn't the Messiah, or certainly not all He's cracked up to be. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this author says, Oh, you have no idea how great Jesus is. You have no idea what He is all about. And so He's going to tell us here. I would ask for some grace here. No one, no one, much less your pastor, could do justice to these descriptors of Christ. Uh, There's so much that could be said here. I'm trusting that what I cover will be what the Lord has for us. This is probably the richest passage on Christology. Along with Colossians 1, this is, this is the best of the best when it comes to describing who Jesus is. I've grouped these eight characteristics into three categories. One, the Son's rank. You might write that down. Point two, the Son's nature. And three, the Son's role. The Son's rank, nature, and role. If you're looking for a theme, a timeless truth, it's when believers understand the deity and majesty of Christ, they worship Him alone. So think about that right off the bat, practical application. I'll say it again. If your heart is wondering, if your heart is cold, if you're distracted by the world, it is because you either don't understand or you don't realize the majesty and deity of Christ. So that's what we get to look at today. Let's look at the Son's rank. Verse 1 again. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. God the Father is acting in three ways in this verse 1. And it's quickly evident that these Jewish Christians have an anemic understanding of exactly who Jesus is. We see that God has spoken through His Son, God has appointed Him heir of all, and God has made Him through the world. It's easy to skim over that as though it's just some introduction, but there's a lot here. It's as if he's saying, so you're thinking about punting the faith and walking away from this Jesus because you think Judaism is better? Do you realize exactly who Jesus is that you're kicking to the curb? Let me explain. He is, number one, the ultimate ambassador the ultimate ambassador. 
Immediately, the author makes a connection with these Jewish believers. Of course, the, the Hebrew Scriptures are the 39 books of the Old Testament. And so he says, hey, God has spoken long ago through the prophets and the fathers in many portions in many ways. But in these last days, and right there, they know exactly what he's talking about. That's a distinction for the Messiah. The Jews looked forward. They saw in the Old Testament prophecies for the Messiah. And the Messiah would come in the last days. Before we get going here, there's a little uh, theology proper here. Do you realize that had God not spoken to his creation, we could not, indeed we would not, know him? We would have general revelation. You could look around and say, this didn't happen by accident. Surely there is an intelligent designer. This is amazing. But we would not know him. If our divine creator did not enter into our world with a word, we would never have known gospel or salvation. We would never have known redemption. But he pursued us. He intimately pursued us. And we see from Adam on that he spoke through many people in many ways. He spoke to Adam in the cool of the evening. Abraham in a theophany. Isaac and Jacob in dreams along with Joseph. Moses on a mountain in a thunderstorm. Elijah in a still small voice. And he spoke to his people through Moses and the prophets. Thus saith the Lord. But as great and varied as those venues were, nothing compares to hearing from the royal Son of God. Can, can you feel the depth at which he is, he is pushing that this message is wrapped in a person? If you think about it, he gave a word in the Old Testament. It was and is the word of God. But in the New Testament, he sent the word. He sent the word. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And Christ came not to abolish the law or the word, but to fulfill it. Matthew 5, 17. So imagine it this way. Uh, imagine you live in an island an island protectorate, far, far away from the motherland. You receive instructions, and you receive word from the king regularly through ambassadors who make long trips on the ocean. This is before air travel. And they bring a word from the king. And these ambassadors rotate through, and you're very thankful for the instruction. You're, you're very thankful for the news, but you don't really have... Uh, a full, full connection. But then one day, instead of the next ambassador getting off the ship, it's the crown prince. It's the king's own son. And he's not just bringing a word, he's bringing his bags. He's coming to dwell among you. That's, that's the level at which they're about to leave by dishonoring Christ and walking away. Why would you ever long for couriers again when you have the crown prince and his word? He's not only the ultimate ambassador, he's the sole heir. Now, this is interesting. If, if you're a Jew, 
It's like the author broke into singing the chorus of your favorite song in this verse. Whom he appointed heir of all things. That's Psalm chapter 2. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. Their minds automatically go back to one of their favorite songs that is a messianic song. A song about the Messiah. It feels like this. I'll kind of recreate it for us. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, all hail the power of Jesus' name, whose amazing grace saved a wretch like me. You get the feeling? You recognize what he's saying, and he's making this connection. Jesus is the one that we've always sung about. He is the Messiah that David spoke of, the sole heir of the Father. Al Mohler says it well. He says, to be an heir is to be invested with everything. The Son is given full authority. To do business with the Son means to do business with the Father. Moreover, if you're going to know the Father, you can only do so through the Son. He is the ultimate ambassador, the sole heir, and, number three, the only creator. Now, this is not just the author making a stretch here. We've heard this before. In fact, we we heard it this morning. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through Him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Jesus Christ existed in eternity past. Jesus Christ, we find out, was the one who actually spoke the worlds into existence. He was the one who said, let there be light. He was the one that was and is the Creator. You don't understand what a big deal this is. I had a reminder this week. My, my phone rang, and I, I broke the cardinal rule. Not recognizing the number, I thought, well, I'll go ahead and take it. And it's always a sales call, right? I mean, inevitably, it's always a sales call. Hello, hello, we are a local ministry and would like to encourage you today with a verse. May I read it to you? Can a pastor really say no, right? Mm, Yes, yes. And so uh, she read it to me. And I felt bad for her because I'm sure the last 10 people said no. And she read out of Revelation 21. And then she asked, can I call again sometime to encourage you with the Bible? That's what we're about. We want to encourage people with the Bible. I'm like, well, sure, yeah. Uh, But can I ask you a question? She said, well, sure. I said, is your ministry funneling people into a healthy church? Clearing of the throat, silence. Well, we are Jehovah's Witnesses, she said. I said, well, can I encourage you with something? She said, "Uh, sure. I said, well, in John 1, 1, it says that Jesus is God. 
If you know anything about Jehovah's Witnesses, their translations, uh, translation says Jesus was with God and Jesus was a God. You see, in uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, Jesus was created. And I said, ma'am, there is no article in the Greek. There is no A. The verse literally reads, and the Word was with God, and God was the Word. I said, ma'am, without a divine Savior, without a perfect sacrifice, without God Himself being on that cross, there is no forgiveness of sins. Can I ask you to think about that? This text is hitting it. This Jew, Jesus, was not some good teacher. He's God. He's God who existed in eternity past. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the God of very God. He is the same essence as the Father. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. All things came into being through him. You see, what this lady was unwittingly believing was what's called the Arian heresy. Let me tell you a little story. Arius, in the third and fourth centuries, was an elder in a church in Alexandria, Egypt. And he argued that Jesus was not eternal, that Jesus was created. Now, Arius, like the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, used all the right terms. Talked about how they loved Jesus, how he died on the cross for their sins, how he is the Son of God and the King of Kings, and now he's coming back. But he would not say that he existed in eternity past. And if you're a Jewish Christian reading this letter to the Hebrews, and you're saying, I'm not so sure about this Jesus, I want to go back. The author here is literally screaming, Jesus is God. He is the creator. He is actually the one who spoke the worlds into existence. Let's just spend a minute and get our minds wrapped around that concept. Because if you're like me, my world is typically about the size of my house. And it's not until I realize how big Jesus is that I realize how small my problems are. Amen? Pastor, are you telling me that that baby in the manger was the creator of the universe? That's exactly what I'm telling you. Think about this for a moment. From the literally thousands and thousands and thousands of complicated mechanisms in a single cell to the detail of a human eye, to the diversity of our ecosystems, to the magnificent of our world, which is the third rock from a medium-sized sun in a spiral-wound galaxy that is 100,000 light-years in diameter, that is one, at last count from the Hubble telescope, one of 225 billion galaxies, each with 200 billion stars in them. And at the last estimate, the furthest galaxy 
is 8 billion light years away and moving at a million miles an hour. I'm sorry, what were you worried about? And he created it all. He created it all out of nothing. Well, look at our second group. The Son's nature. Verse 3, and he is the radiance of his glory. Circle that. And the exact representation of his nature. Circle that. Those two things right there. He is the radiator. Now, radiance is not reflection. That's a different Greek word. Radiance means outshining. It's, it's reminiscent, if you know your Old Testament, of the Shekinah glory. The Shekinah glory that filled the tabernacle in the wilderness when it was first built. And the same Shekinah glory that filled Solomon's temple. And it was a manifestation of God, God's glory. It's John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, literally tabernacled among us, and we saw His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Since the Father cannot be seen, it is Jesus who shows what God is like. It is Jesus who shines glory, because Jesus is God. Three persons in one. John 1.18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, who is the bosom of the Father, he, meaning Jesus, has explained him. So, so not only is Jesus the creator, but he is fully, fully divine. He is an exact representation, it says. That, that word it means imprint or stamp. It's like the dye you would imprint a coin on. In fact, that's what the word was used for. And that image on the die is the exact image that is printed on the coin. So back to Arius, the guy who said Jesus did not exist in eternity past. Jesus was created. Jesus is not God. Maybe he said Jesus was a God, but he was not God. There was a fella who spent the better part of his entire life battling that heresy because he was consumed with biblical truth. He, too, was a pastor in Alexandria. 17 of his 45 years were spent in exile in response to fighting for the truth. He was driven out of his church five times by the Roman Empire. And he died and that was it. No. The Lord honored his efforts. And we sit here today and we can quote the Nicene Creed. 325. The Son was the same in essence with the Father, the only begotten of the Father, and the very God of very God. So we've seen the Son's rank. We've seen His nature, that He is the Creator. He is fully divine. Now watch the Son's role. It talks about what He has done and what He is doing. Verse 3 again. He upholds all things by the word of His power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is not in the grave. He rose from the dead. But more than that, he's upholding all things by the word of his power. He is the, write down the word, sustainer. 
is not only the creator, but he's the one who holds it all together. Look, if you've taken uh, physics, you know we learn about the laws of physics, but no one can ever talk about the energy that causes the laws to run. Do you realize that if our planet was just ever so slightly closer to the sun, it would not sustain life? If the moon was closer to the earth, the, the tides would flood the continents. Scientists can't tell us what holds the nucleus of an atom together, but they simply call it a strong nuclear force. I can tell you what it is. The author of Hebrews says, it's Jesus Christ. And he holds it all together. Can you imagine if, 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 if hydrogen atoms just flew apart? You say, well, what does this have to do with me? Well, I don't know. What's your favorite verse? Everyone says Romans 8, 28, right? And God causes all things to work together for good, right? How do you suppose he does that? He upholds all things by the word of his power. He is sovereign over all. Spurgeon used to say, my God is so sovereign he causes the spray that hits a boat to go this far and no further. He's just exalting the majesty of Christ. And if that's not enough, he's also the redeemer. He made purification of sins. He came to redeem us, to take our place on the cross and absorb the just wrath that we had earned as sinners. And justice was satisfied and mercy was extended. Don't miss that phrase, made purification of sins. If you're a Jewish believer, you, you see the connection. That's talking about the priestly sacrifices there. We're going to see this a lot in Hebrews, but, but what the author is saying is Jesus is the great high priest. What would G Jews, uh, Jewish priests do annually at Yom Kippur? They would offer sacrifice for the sins of the nation. But then they would have to do it again next year, right? What happens here? Look at verse 3. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Do you realize that there were no chairs inside the temple or the tabernacle? Priests didn't sit down. Why? Because their work was never finished. But the great high priest says what? It is huh, finished. And he sits down. It is complete and it is accepted. And where did he sit? He is also the ruler. He sat at the right hand. It is the place of highest authority. He sat at the right hand. Now again, we have this, this, this clue here when he says, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty. Again, that author's playing a well-known song. It's Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. He's quoting a coronation song. It'd be like if I was writing a letter and I said, and, and, and Jesus sat down at the right hand of God, crown him with many crowns. Well, I understand exactly what he's talking about. I love that song. I understand what that means. Now look down at verse 13 in the same chapter. But to which of the angels has he ever said, 
sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And you don't have to turn there, but listen to chapter 8, verse 1. Now the main point in what all has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. And what did Christ say in Luke 22? But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And we're just scratching at the surface of who Jesus is. We're just, we're like little kids that are playing on the seashore. And that ocean is 10,000 feet deep. If our faith is weak, if we're drifting off course, it's because we don't fully realize who Jesus is and what he has done. Now listen to this before we get into some application. The Apostle Paul brings all this together in the book of Colossians, which talks about the soul sufficiency of Christ. I want you to hear all these points, these eight points that we've made, I want you to hear them in these verses. Colossians 1.15 He is the image of the invisible God. He's the ultimate ambassador. And the firstborn of all creation. He is fully divine. For by Him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him, and for him, he is the only creator. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the sustainer. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will have come to have first place in everything. He is the sole heir. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. He is the radiator. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of the cross. He is the redeemer. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, he is the ruler. Now, if that don't make everything and everyone pale in comparison to the royal son, I don't know what does. What is vying for your heart's affections? You may not be thinking of walking away from the faith, but I'll promise you that you've had doubts. They may not even be conscious doubts, but if someone were to examine your life or, or my life, it would be evident that we often do not realize who it is we say that we worship. That we don't fully understand who is this God that we sing to, we pray to. It's like the old adage that God created us in his image, and since that time we've been forever returning the favor. Do we realize... Metro Bible, do we realize 
who Jesus is? Do we realize what he has done? What he is doing right now in upholding the entire universe? Ruling, sitting at the right hand of God. I think, unfortunately, we often long for the comfortable, the familiar, rely on the incompetent, and generally give lip service to our Lord while choosing to be the captain of our own ship. So let's think differently. Let's realize deeply. I think if we do, I think if we can dive deeply, think majestically on the things of Christ, I think it will change how we operate. I think our attitude, number one, will be a lot different. I really do. I think joy will permeate our lives. I think I'll, I'll catch myself when I find myself complaining to the God that sustains my next breath, right? I think when I realize how large the universe is and that He holds it all together, then I'm not going to think that He's asleep at the wheel. I honestly don't think that we would ever miss a quiet time again if we understood this. I think we would rise each morning and long to hear a word from the Lord. Long to spend time with the God of the universe that somehow, some way, has an interest in you. And He does. He loves us with a God-like love. He loves us first when we did not love Him. He loves us in such a way that He does what is best for us regardless of the cost. His love is secure, never changing. His adoption is real and irrevocable. I think Sundays would become the highlight of the week. I think we'd be the first ones here and the last ones to leave. I think our homes would be ready to receive people, to be the hands and feet of Christ. I think our mouths would constantly talk about the great things God has done for us. I think we wouldn't worry about what people think. We've been saved for all eternity and saved for a purpose. Watch this one. I think the rates of anxiety and depression among Christians would plummet. I honestly do. If anxiety is misplaced fear and depression is misplaced grief, what happens when we realize that our Savior controls all for His glory and our good? Do we realize who it is who has promised to see us through? Do we realize Jesus is the great captain of our ship? He is the only one who has the capability and the willingness to care for us and see us through. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Can I leave you with one more word about our Lord Jesus Christ? I think one of the greatest pictures that helps exalt our understanding of him. Paul writes in Philippians 2 about Jesus Christ, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I think we got that part, right? 
But he doesn't stop there. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? And so, Father, we are thankful that even with our finite minds, you have written in such a way that we can understand. I'm sure it's not fully. I'm sure it's far, far from comprehensive. But you have given us the ability through your word and through the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit that we can understand and realize who Jesus is and what he has done and what he is doing. Father, forgive us for thinking so meanly of him, so lightly of him. Forgive us for trying to control through anxiety. Forgive us for poor attitudes. Forgive us for doubting. And Father, for the, the person here today who, have, who has yet to repent of their sins and place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, May they see His majesty today, and may they respond by turning from sin and self-worship and place their faith in Jesus Christ. And it is to the glory of the King of kings and the Lord of lords that we ask this. Amen.